What happens when a Catholic deacon matches wits with a Catholic radio show host? You get a marriage made in heaven. They may not always agree, but they're always faithful. It's the Akins with their view from the pew on Modern Day Radio. And welcome to this episode of View from the Pew. I am your host, Brenda Aiken, and joining me is the man who grew up in Kansas, but never actually lived there, the good deacon, Scott Aiken. Right. You know, I guess in uh, in hindsight, that's really a, a accurate statement. My mom's family is from Kansas, but uh, we lived there kind of in this transient nomadic mode. We'd always be going through there, either coming from California or coming from Ohio, where my dad's job uh, took us. That's where I consider my home place. So my mom and dad, when I go to visit them in San Diego, I actually get to go visit them in the house that I grew up in. That's There are some deep roots there in Southern California. Because your father moved around a lot because of work, that type of deep roots didn't settle in the places where your family purchased homes, but those deep roots are set on the reservation where the Potawatomi people have lived for generations. Right. In fact, uh, probably since 1835. So, you know, that's enough time to build, uh, to dig roots in. But but that uh, that place is, <laughs> it's it's Kansas. And if anybody's ever been to Kansas, you know, there's there's not a whole lot to see. But that area is particularly beautiful because it's up in the what's called the Flint Hills. Well, the reason why I want to talk about Kansas today is because your grandparents were such an influence in your life, and your grandfather shares the name with one of our great patron saints of the church, a patron saint that we celebrate today, and that is St. Joseph. Your grandfather is Joseph. Right, right. Tell tell our listeners about your grandfather. Well, and you know, my grandfather was the second generation born in Kansas, so my great-grandfather was actually moved from Michigan by the federal government to Kansas. And my grandfather was born there in Kansas. Uh, and his name was is Sock, which for our, our people is his Indian name that defines who he is. But he took on an English name, Joseph. And, you know, it's a family mystery as to how he actually took that name on because my grandfather was not Catholic. Now, my grandmother was Catholic mm-hmm. and Potawatomi. And my grandfather, and in marrying her, uh, lived his entire life as a non-Catholic, married to a Catholic, and raising children in a Catholic faith. Yet he has this name Joseph the whole time. It's, it's beautiful to think of in the context of, of what we're celebrating this Friday. I love to hear this story because I think to know you in the years that uh, we dated, to know you and to know about who you are and where your faith is, it is so much brought about because of who your grandfather is absolutely, and who your tribe was and his role in the tribe. He used to tell you he, he found a lot of similarities between the drum religion, which he was a part of for his whole life, and Catholicism because he would take his wife, his stepchildren and his children all to mass on Sundays did find his faith at the end of his life. So much of it not only parallels the Catholic faith, it parallels St. Joseph himself. So my grandmother married my grandfather's brother, his older brother, and his older brother, John, uh, stepped on a nail and, and contracted lockjaw and died from that. And so my grandmother was left with two children and no one to help. And my grandfather, 
her husband's brother, her brother-in-law, stepped in and said, I'll help you raise the children and I'll live with you and committed his life to her and they got married. And it's just so uh, deep in family, family responsibility and family connection. And the sacrifice that was given was given out of love for his brother and out of love for his family that now my grandmother represented in the children that she brought forward. They got married. They were married for 56 years and had uh, four more children. And my mom was one of those, those children. So I knew that story. That story was told over, over the years. Um, but that grew into, by the time I was a teenager, just a great respect for my grandfather, who was really the leader of our drum religion for our tribe, and my grandmother, who was this devout Catholic woman, taking her children every Sunday to Mass. And my grandfather would sit outside the church, wait for the priest to finish with Mass, and the priest would come out and say, Joe, uh, what are you doing this week? Knowing that my grandfather would be taking part in burials, taking part in naming children, taking part in preparing for ceremony, for harvest. And the the priest interacted on a, a level that was so supportive of my grandfather. All of his years that my grandfather lived, he met with priests who had come into the parish on our reservation and talked to them. But it wasn't until he was six months before he died that he converted to Catholicism. And that was the most pivotal point for me because it helped me make a commitment myself to, to be firm in my Catholic belief because he found at that point no conflict whatsoever. It's just an amazing story. And again, for our listeners, I think for me, knowing where you come from says so much about who you are right now. And it sets up kind of the future. And from your grandfather, through your mother, to you, to our own children, how that legacy forms who we are. So we are talking about St. Joseph today. We are talking about his legacy. And coming up, we have a really wonderful opportunity. I get to talk with Jerusalem Jones. You know him also as Steve Ray. He's going to give us some information about who St. Joseph was as a man living in the time and place that he did with his wife, Mary, bringing up his foster son, Jesus. And then after that, we want to share with you how we share in the Holy Family's effort to raise a child and to follow, in this case, St. Joseph's example of committing in service to the family. So we have a great show ahead for you on this week's View from the Pew. Stay with us. Grandpa, tell me about them good old days. Sometimes it feels like. Like this world's gone crazy Grandpa Greetings and blessings to all of you listening to Mater Day Radio. Join me, Father Gabriel Mosier, and other listeners of Mater Day Radio in this prayer to St. Joseph. Let us pray. St. Joseph, you are the chaste and loving spouse of the Virgin Mary, the foster father of Jesus, the protector of and provider of the Holy Family and all families. We have complete confidence in your loving care for new life and in your fidelity to the family. We commend our efforts to your prayers and protection. Help us always to defend the gift of human life 
that it may grow to the abundance of eternal life promised and bestowed on us by your Son, our brother, Jesus Christ. Amen. For more prayer resources and to let us know how we can pray for your intentions, please visit MontereyRadio.com. As you know, it has been a challenging year for many businesses and organizations in our community. That includes some of Monterey Radio's Leadership Circle members. These are loyal friends who support our faith-filled broadcasts through their financial generosity. To find a listing of our Leadership Circle members, please go to our website at MontereyRadio.com and click on the Get Involved menu. Your support of these members will be a great help to them and to this radio apostolate. God bless you. Family life can be hectic, but God can be found right in the middle of it. So take a moment for this week's View from the Pew. He's the most chaste and the most strong, protector of holy church and the terror of demons. But how can a man who we have no written account of words he ever spoke gain such titles? Well, it is by his action that gained him favor. And this year, we honor and celebrate St. Joseph. Joining me today to share more about this man who actually walked in the village where St. Joseph lived. That man is Steve Ray. Steve, thank you so much for joining the show today. And happy Solemnity of St. Joseph. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And I I love talking about St. Joseph today. Well, I am counting on your expertise. You've made that trip to the Holy Land so many times. You've taken groups and shared the rich history of our faith. And that little town that brought up the Savior of the world. It is quite amazing. And walking through the Holy Land then, what can you tell us about the life of St. Joseph based on where he lived? Well, I, when I'm in Nazareth with my groups, over 80 times, I've given a talk in front of the Church of St. Joseph, where the Holy Family lived. I give a talk called A Day in the Life of the Holy Family. We wake up in the morning with them, get up off the mat. We have breakfast, pray, all the things they did. And then I, and then the end of that talk, we crash onto our mats after a long day. So they lived in a very small village called Nazareth. It was not on any main roads. It's what we would call a backwater little village which was not even mentioned in the Old Testament, not a likely place for the Son of God and the King of the universe to live his life out. But he did it in relative obscurity. It's called the 30 silent years that they family lived there. Catechism says it's important to us because it teaches us the importance of silence, just being quiet, living together. Second point is the family life, the importance of family life. And the third one, the importance of hard work. The family teaches us that in this little village off any main road, only one source of water. It was 15 minutes walk away, and they lived in caves. They didn't have houses like we think of today. So it was a very, very rustic life that the Holy Family lived together. Steve, the Bible tells us that Joseph made a living as a carpenter. Well, in that time, what did carpenters make and build? What did they do as a carpenter? How did he earn a living? Well, that's interesting because if you live in a little backwater village with uh, 25 caves, that's how many the archaeologists have discovered there. It's a very small town, no more than two acres size. And if you are living there and you are what we call a carpenter, you would think that you wouldn't get a lot of work. But the word carpenter means, in Greek, it's tekton, and it means one who works with hard materials, whether stone or metal or rock or wood. And they are basically a day laborer. They're tough guys with calluses on their hands. They work hard. They're on the lower 
scale of the economic ladder. They're in the lower step of that. They aren't wealthy. And we know the Holy Family wasn't because you were supposed to, at the presentation after the birth, they bring a lamb and they didn't have enough money for a lamb. So they had to bring two turtle doves, which were cheap to get. So the family didn't have much money and they're that's how we can ascertain that. And carpenter means somebody who's like a day laborer, a grunt, somebody who's callous, their face is red, dark from the sun, their hands are all scarred up. And I am convinced that there was, that Joseph and Jesus, their carpentry, what they did was work with rock. It's Jerusalem limestone. And in that area of Nazareth, there's a lot of quarries, even to this day. And they were probably strong from, you know, hauling around these hundred pound rocks, shaping them into cubes, putting them up in the walls. These were tough men. Oh, tough men indeed. Steve Ray joining me today. Steve is an author, a pilgrimage leader, and you can see great history of the Catholic faith on his Footprints of God series. Well, Steve, fathers today, you're a father yourself. You have such a great responsibility, especially in raising sons and raising them to be men of virtue. Being a faithful Jewish man, what responsibility did Joseph have in raising Jesus? Yes, I know this very well. I have four kids and 18 grandkids now, and I love that responsibility. And what the responsibility was that the parents taught the kids. They didn't send them off to school somewhere, and they didn't send them off to a CCD teacher to teach them everything they need to know. It was the father's responsibility to teach his child, not only the religious life and prayer and worship, but also the a trade, because the rabbis taught that if you do not teach your son a trade, you teach him to be a thief, because he will not have a way to make a living and take care of himself and his family. So these men also taught the religious life. And the rabbis also said at five years old, you teach the children the scriptures. At 10 years old, they need to know the tradition. And at 13 years old, the child, the boy becomes a, has his bar mitzvah, which means son of the law. He becomes a son of the law of Moses on his own. That's where he becomes a man. So the father's job is to train that son up to live a moral life of integrity and hard work and responsibility and a spiritual life of living under the obedience of God so that at 13, he now is responsible to God on his own. Did Joseph teach Jesus or did Jesus teach Joseph? We know that he was with the best professors in Jerusalem and asking questions and answering their questions of the doctors of the law. And I also would, I'd like to think of this way too. God, in a way, God, the father, Jesus is really his son. He relinquished some of his rights of fathership and gave them to Joseph. In other words, he said, this is my son, but I'm going to allow you to be the father of him and to raise him now. And this is really interesting. Did Jesus, the parables that Jesus told, did he learn them from Joseph? What mannerisms did Jesus have that he picked up from Joseph? I know that I had mannerisms and things that my dad said that I would say all the time. So I think when you looked at Jesus, you also saw Joseph. Steve, we also know Joseph was chosen for Mary. Now, did Joseph hold any position that made him, well, maybe qualify or kind of shine in the eyes perhaps of of Joachim and Anne that said, okay, Joseph, you are going to be the one for Mary? There's nothing in the Bible about that other than that, than that they were, they were, um, 
betrothed to be married. It's kind of like an engagement, but much more because I've been to betrothals even today in the Middle East. I've been to a good number of weddings in Nazareth and to betrothals. And a betrothal there is not like here where you just get engaged and you can break it off. Once you're betrothed, it is you are married mm-hmm. legally, but you haven't moved in yet for another year. So marriage is a two-step process there. And, and there's a document written called the Proto-Evangelium of James. It was written in the first half of the second century, so very early on. And that is the document where we learn the names of Joachim and Anna. They're not in the Bible either. Their names come from the Proto-Evangelium of James. And in there, it says that God chose Joseph to be Mary's husband. It wasn't Joachim and Anna that God actually said for the men to put a stick in the ground and whichever one would bloom in the morning, that would be the one God had chosen. And Joseph was the one that that was chosen. So, and there's only one adjective used of Joseph, and that is that he was a righteous man. Mm. That's the only, it doesn't say ever that he was lovely or handsome or strong, or he is a righteous man. And that is the only adjective that we have in scripture. Steve Ray joining me today as we celebrate today and this wonderful year given to St. Joseph. Steve, the litany has such a long list of names and titles over the years that that St. Joseph takes on. He's also the patron of many things. And that also includes something that we wouldn't necessarily put together, but that of a happy death. Explain why that is and what do we know about where St. Joseph's remains might be laid? We don't know where his remains are. That is an interesting curiosity because we know all the other saints have places that claim their bones and claim to be their death uh, place, or they have relics of them, but not with St. Joseph. And there are saints in the past, like uh, Francis de Sales, who say that G- that Joseph was also assumed into heaven, that he was, at, because of the great honor that he had, and being the father of Jesus here on earth, a foster father, obviously not a biological father, but that because of that, he was honored also with taking into heaven. Now, the, the, the church has never defined it, and there's not a lot on it, but there are saints that have been very uh, adamant about the fact that he was. And the whole litany of him about the happy death, that comes from the fact that we know that he had died before Jesus's earthly ministry began, because we see when Jesus was 12 years old, that he was there in the temple and Joseph and Mary went back to find him. And Mary even said, why have you done this to your father and I? So it's, by the way, it's a, it's a, okay, it's a right thing to call him the father of Jesus, as long as we realize and make the qualification not a biological but the adoptive father, which gives Jesus, by the way, all of the rights of being from the tribe of Judah, which is the tribe of the kings, because he has to be a king of Israel, right? So he had to come from that line, which he gets through Joseph by adoption. But it assumes, we assume then that Joseph died somewhere between the time Jesus was 12 and 30 years old, because after that, we never hear of him. We hear of Mary and his cousins, but we never hear of Joseph. And so if Joseph died, the presumption is he died in the arms of Mary and Jesus. And if you're going to die, that's a good way to go, I would say. And that's why he's the patron of the happy death, and that when you're about ready to die, you can appeal to him and say, St. Joseph, we know that the way you died, we would like to die also in the arms of Mary and Jesus. Oh, that we all may have the whole entire Holy Family praying and near us as we approach that time in our life. Steve, it has been a wonderful conversation. You are always a man full of great knowledge. We appreciate your time today. Before we go, let our listeners know, is there anything that you're planning now? Is is COVID restrictions allowing you to maybe get back to the Holy Land anytime soon? 
A couple things I'm doing. First of all, I'm back on the speaking trail again. I've already been given talks in Minneapolis, Baltimore, and Texas. I'm going back to Texas and got a bunch of other speaking engagements. So if anybody wants me to come speak at parishes, missions, or men's conferences, just get in touch with me at my website, catholicconvert.com. We also have a whole slew of pilgrimages. We just started two domestic ones, actually. They're kind of fun. One is we're going to go to the shrines of Wisconsin, the only uh, approved Marian apparition and and a chapel the National Shrine of St. Joseph, where we're all going to do a consecration. And Cardinal Burke is going to be with us there, Cardinal Raymond Burke. And we also have a pilgrimage going to Florida, to uh, St. Augustine, where Catholicism first came. The first Mass ever was in St. Augustine, and the first shrine, the first church. We're going to go down there and renew our baptismal vows. I also have a trip coming up to Turkey, all the biblical sites through Turkey, a bunch to Israel, Lords and Fatima, and a St. Paul cruise, all this year still. Oh, well, sign me up, Steve. Wherever you're going, I want to be there, too. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. God bless you. Thank you. And I look forward to more shows in the future. Oh, I look forward to that, too. And again, that is Steve Ray. I'll be sure to add a link to where you can get to Steve's website and find out all that information, all of his wonderful books, videos, and information on the pilgrimages. You're going to find that link on the podcast of this interview at materdayradio.com. And now it's time for this week's View from the Pew. Scott, I love the image that Steve just talked about, how Joseph was responsible for giving Jesus kind of like a job. The Jewish law required that he have a job and earn a wage, and it was Joseph's responsibility. We have responsibilities. We see that as parents, as raising our children and the responsibilities we have. And what's funny is how we sort out our roles as far as mother and father and how we raise and have a relationship with our daughters and sons. Now I look at our three girls, our youngest daughter is a senior in high school and then there's a college one and then there's one that's married. And I always remember telling you, you know what, Scott, I am trying to raise ladies here and I would get hard on them and sometimes and tell them about how they need to present themselves and how they need to dress and how they need to be strong in the ways that women are strong. Whereas with our son, I'm, I'm so soft with him. And you tell me this, Brenda, I am trying to raise a man here. It's funny how we have those viewpoints with regards to our one male child and our female children. In today's day and age, when, when so much of this is in confusion, about men and women, roles and responsibilities. I think as Catholics, we should adhere to the best of our ability, the traditions that have been handed on to us. And and one of those traditions, I think, is exemplified in, in the Holy Family and how uh, Jesus would, would have been brought up. And, and that was great that, that Steve Ray was able to, to highlight that human component. Yes, Jesus, fully human, fully God in his humanity had to learn just like we had to learn and just like we're teaching our children. And one of the things that I really impress upon my son is you need to be a person of integrity. Yes. You need a person who's authentic. And those are hard lessons to impart to, to someone, but by consistency. 
So constantly being there as you are with the girls, constantly being there. And we share these these uh, presence components, but we do it in a very much a gender specific way. And I think that's a value. It's certainly a value for our kids and our family. We see that. And and yet, like I said, in the in the world, it's kind of right now kind of mixed up very, very understandably with single families that the single parent families and challenges of of, of marriage. But the reflection of the Holy Family, the reflection that St. Joseph presents to me as a father, someone who has a responsibility in raising my son and loving and caring for and protecting my daughters and you. And from my viewpoint, I am trying to raise girls in a world where they need to be strong, but be strong in the ways that women are strong. I always tell them, I said, you know, life is going to grow inside of you and you will have no idea how strong you are until the day you go into labor with those children. And you would tell me that you'd say, Brenda, you uh, that I am amazing to you that I had the strength to go through that. Likewise with our son, as his mama, I'm, I just love him so much. And I say, Scott, you're just, you're so hard on him. But you see the reality of what it means to raise a boy in this day and age where the idea of masculinity is a toxic thing. Well, you're trying to raise him to be a man of virtue who has strength, who's willing to protect and be fierce when he needs to be. And that's not being hard on him at all. And in Jesus' life, it was unknown that that Joseph was not going to live to Jesus' adulthood. Right. That when he started his mission in earnest, that his father wouldn't be there present, but his mother was there present. And his mother was just as you're describing, someone who is soft, caring, the listener, And Jesus is constantly going to his mother to receive that love and affection and and rooting so that he can carry his mission out. And the apostles turn to his mother at Jesus' direction. So Joseph had set in play a reality that was necessary that God had ordained that his son would learn from this man, this man of integrity, this man who was faithful to the father. And so your grandfather took on that name and it said so much about who he was, a man of virtue, a man of integrity that you learned. And now you have that knowledge to pass on because you don't know what the Lord will call you to be, to do, and and how much time you have to impart that legacy. We don't know if we have tomorrow. So we have got to be vigil every single day. It's tiring. (laughs) <laughs> it's exhausting to be parents. And as they get older, boy, the problems only get bigger for sure. But it doesn't give us an excuse to let up. We have got to do it every By single day. By the grace day. of God, we continue to persevere. Before we go on this Feast of St. Joseph, Scott, will you end us in prayer? Heavenly Father, we ask for the intercession of your earthly father to give us strength in our times of need as parents and to give us courage and example of what can be. We have great hope and trust in St. Joseph this week in particular in celebration of his feast day. The terror of demons as we battle evil in the world by leaning on the son he raised, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
And that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Please tune in next Friday as we share with you more stories about our faith, our family, and our view from the pew. God bless. Have a great week. You've been listening to View from the Pew, a weekly look at faith and family life from a Catholic perspective with Deacon Scott and Brenda Aiken. For more information on the Aikens and to listen to an archive of their previous shows, visit them online at moderndayradio.com slash pew. View from the Pew is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon.